0: So welcome to another edition of On The Continent, your one-stop place for all things to do with European football. We've got a cracking conversation for you today. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel.
1: And I'm Nikki Bandini.
0: Yeah. And in case anybody was wondering who rules the Champions League waves, well, I can tell you it's not France and it's not Spain either. So, leave the gunboats at home and let's talk football. It's an all-English Champions League final. Also, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho. We'll hear about the latest chapter, or should that be libretto, in this Italian opera. And finally, we've got some games of the week for you, but we'll have a look at the, uh, the big names in Spain as well. So let's start with what is, uh, it's not gunboat diplomacy, but PSG versus Man City, second league of the semi-final of the Champions League, looked as if it would be one of those Henry V moments, you know, cry Henry or battle or gunboats for England, God and Harry etc. You know what I'm talking about Nikki? Are we are we
1: still including Harry there or is he now no longer Oh, <laughs> I like it. I um, like it. Um I I have like no actual sort of royal knowledge so I'm sort of just vaguely aware that he's been in the middle of a big saga. I genuinely like really that whole thing past by. Um it was it was a I feel like it's a spectacle it wasn't quite the semi-final that I hoped it was going to be. I think I hoped it was going to be something um, bombastic and explosive in the footballing sense. Obviously, it was explosive in a um, in a tension sense. Certainly for for PSG, who didn't seem to be able to keep the, a lid on things, it was hugely impressive from from uh, Manchester City. I think that the, the quality that you saw and, and the gulf between them, and I think especially in the second leg where there wasn't even that threat of Neymar of um, Mbappe to go with Neymar, um, the the Gulf felt, um, again, really striking, very impressive from City. I think, um, because of course we're on the continent, we don't want to just talk about the English clubs. I, I think the, the the PSG side of it, it really brought home how uneven, and it's not a new thought, but just how uneven that that squad is. Because there is some genuine magic in there, and perhaps I am too often wearing my Italian hat, whatever my Italian hat would look like. Um, and but I. I was spellbound by Virati, even still at points in this game. And there were points when he was sort of getting on, on the ball and rolling the ball under his foot between, um, oh, was it, um, Mares and Gundogan in midfield, and just sort of doing this little spin away from them both. And I just thought, the kid has, he has that um, that magic about him, and, and reminded me of a conversation I had actually with um, Renzo Liveri, who's the head of the coaching school at Coviciano, the famous manager school. And he talked about how football, modern football. Is um, is all about principles, and those principles, when you get into it, they're not broad, simple principles that you can write neatly in an article. Is what I found out. You know, it's it's the principle of of what you do in those moments. You know, you have, as he boiled it down, you know, three basic choices. You can, um, well, two really. You can have the uh, you can move the ball on by passing it, or you can try to beat the man yourself. And I thought that Verratti is one of those players who I I love. Watching because I think that he makes those decisions in split-second time so well now, so, mm. so well. And I think you can go through that PSG squad and you can put out all kinds of players doing that. And I think there's a core, obviously, that are such intelligent footballers, such smart footballers. Neymar, Verratti, um, Di Maria, obviously. I think Kayla Navas is really one of the best keepers in the world now. I think he's really impressed me. But I look at fullback and I see... Another Italian Florenzi. And I think you weren't good enough for Roma. Like, why? Why are you starting a Champions League semi-final? It, it feels like a more sort of intense version of of when Arsenal were on a Champions League run with um, Flamini at fullback. It's like you sh- you don't belong in this in this group of of high quality. And it,
2: there's actually an argument that he's their best fullback as well. <laughs>
1: well, there you go. I,
2: I think that's that's it. I, I, I think that that hits the nail on the head, really. And um, I think firstly we have to say that despite the fact that Paris Saint-Germain were well beaten and that Manchester City deserved to go to the final eventually. Um, The PSG weren't terrible in this. No, They, 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 They were really, really good in the first half of the first leg. I thought they started the first half really well in Manchester as well. And sometimes, I know when we sit here analysing it all, we don't want to talk about luck or it seems like counterintuitive to look about talk about luck but the way that that first goal arrived the way that the spin on the deflection on the De, Bru- De Bruyne's shot sort of completely confused Pembe. and all of a sudden he's like "Oh, actually my body wants to go in one direction but my legs are going in the other and then Mahrez reacts really quickly and and, and, and puts it away I mean that is something that's quite difficult to recover from I think we'll, we'll maybe come to the emotional side of how they dealt with it or didn't deal with it Mm. in the second half of both those games. I thought when you were doing the intro, Dotton, you were going to talk about Pochettino as being a sort of Lady Macbeth with blood all over his hands that he can't get off. Because it felt a little bit like that, didn't it?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't put that on him. Not Lady Macbeth. No, no, no. That's too harsh. But you you make a point, though. It seemed like a Shakespearean tragedy, though, the second half, which we'll come on to in a moment. What about what Nikki said in passing? She mentioned the lack of Mbappé there. How much did that
2: affect PSG? It's enormous. Because I think if you see in the first half, when they're getting the ball into the Manchester City half, um, Di Maria, who in both games is the player who can break the lines better than any other player that PSG have got. He's still got that pace. He's still so smooth on the, on, on the ball and can can dribble and can change pace. He's looking for that pass outside for Mbappe to make the run. Mm. And you've got Abdou Diallo, who's a centre half playing at left back, mm. pegging it to, to, to make up the run. And I suppose this is what happens when you put all your eggs in one basket Because what you were saying about the versatility of Manchester City, about how much depth there is, they've never gone out and spent, clearly they've spent a lot of money, but with similar resources, they've never gone out and spent even a hundred million on a player, let alone 200 million. I mean, they've got, Paris Saint-Germain have got two 200 million players in their team if you balance it out between them, 180 versus 220. So... You're, by definition, heavily reliant on those two players. It's closer to the Real Madrid Galactico's model in Florentino Perez's first spell of the Bernabeu than it is to anything that Manchester City or Bayern Munich have done. And in terms of that, the Manchester City approach looks a lot more sensible. So when people are talking about, will City go out this summer and buy Harry Kane? or make an offer to Dortmund that they can't refuse uh, for uh, Erling Haaland? Why would they? Mm -hmm. Just like, they're fine as they are, wait for the Erling Haaland clause to kick in in 2022, and then he becomes more of a Manchester City signing, you know, in that sort of 60, 70, 80 million bracket, and then throw all the wages uh, uh, in the world at him. But how Paris Saint-Germain rebuild from here, and that's what Mbappe and Neymar, and especially Mbappe actually, want to know. that They know that Paris Saint-Germain can meet their financial obligations. They know they can continue to provide them with trophies. But Mbappe has said all along, he knows what the contract is. He said, show me the project. I think if something makes him stay at Paris Saint-Germain, is that the project is nowhere else out there. That Real Madrid aren't in the best position at the moment to attract him, to build something sustainable around him because clearly they've got their own reconstruction issues as, as we'll come to in a bit it's, look oh,
1: i'm
2: sorry it's just
1: a, there's a line which um was from le keep but i will admit that i read it in the athletics so it's um two steps removed now to get to me but it's a great line which was city making signings in um service of the project so in service of mm. pep guardiola's vision um psg makes signings sorry at psg the signings are the project. Like that's, that's the, that's it. Like that's yeah. the idea. The idea is these signings. And this comes back though, to the manager situation. I think it's been, um you know, they, they've had some really good managers there. And some of those managers, you know, like's happening at Chelsea at the moment, they go on and it's like, oh no, wait, Tuchel is actually a really smart coach. You can quite quickly get a team into the service of his idea. And it hasn't happened. But the resources are better. Right. Aren't they? And, but that's,
2: The playing resources. I suppose this is the
1: philosophical question that I sort of have in my head about it. Like, do you need to, as an ownership? And again, PSG have been in consecutive Champions League semi finals. So, what they're doing is not failing, right? Like, this is a pretty successful project overall. But if you want it to be something more, do you have to make a decision as a club to do what Man City have done in effect and say, no, here's our manager and we're going to stick by him? regardless for a while and that way you can actually build a project that is more than just we're going to make big signings.
2: And the other thing is they've been like slightly more diverse in their approach to finding players. So, you know, it's a point that's been made in France in the, in the, in the days since it's, it's finished. The fact that City's out, outstanding player, Ruben Dias, and when do, when do PSG shop in Portugal? Mm. You, you know, the, the the fact is because they don't have what they would call uh cellule de recrutement there. They don't have like a whole recruitment department at, 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 at PSG. No it's need basically... to translate recruitment. We got that bit. Thank you. It's it's, basi- it's basically Leonardo and his Italian assistant. So uh, where they go shopping. They go shopping in Serie A. And, you know, do they need to be a little bit more diverse? And actually, this summer, can they afford to go shopping in In Serie A, if if they re-sign Mbappe and Neymar, they're going to have to get themselves in a position where either to bring players into the first-team squad or to create a transfer budget, they need to use the youth academy much better than they've done before. Because, you know, it's such an incredible producer of players, the whole Ile de France Mm -hmm. region, and they've not made the most of that.
1: there may be an answer to this, and I just don't know it, but why do they need to balance the budget now? Does it matter?
2: Yeah, they've lost a lot of money, the same as everyone else. But, but do they care? Fin- financial, that's, that's financial when... fair play is still a a thing. Is it? <laughs> Just for the for the moment, it is. Maybe maybe it won't be in a mm. year or so. But in in, in terms right. of yeah. like producing something for next season, then it definitely is. And the wages that they pay are, are prohibitive. Mm. You know, there needs to be some balance somewhere. I, I think that you
0: both hit the nail on the head so many times. You know what Andy said earlier on about uh, the players. These two players are the project. How easy then is that? Is it to recreate or rebuild when actually the problem is the players that you've already purchased at a very high price? It's not going to be possible to change that and to to follow the Manchester City model and which they don't is more want They
2: don't. They don't want it before the Qatar World Cup in 2022. Mm. For mm. A Qatari ownership to go into that World Cup in front of the world and say, we've got Mbappe and Neymar. That's what they want. That's what they want. I, I mean, the, the balance may not be incidental to Pochettino. And I have to say, in terms of the job that Pochettino's done, and I, I think we can um, say quite clearly that even if they don't win the league from here, he'll still be there next season. Because the job that he's done in getting them to the semi-finals of the Champions League in taking over a squad that's not his own with no preparation with no time to work they've knocked out Barcelona who are better than we all thought they were they've knocked out Bayern and they gave Manchester City a really good game even if they didn't finish them mm. off in the end there's plenty in there to say Pochettino has done a very very canny job so far but it will be difficult to build on that but he may not even win the French League True. You know that he was brought there for a reason. He may come out with no trophies. That would be for, embarrassing. For now. For, yeah, now, for now, for now. I mean, it's, it's really about what they do long term in the in, in the Champions League, medium term, I suppose, you should say with head coaches. But really, performances build towards trophies. And, you know, that's what they've done. And I think that there's not been an overreaction in France to them going out to Manchester City. Not the overreaction that some of their players had, for example. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's a sense of, you know what? They got to the final last season. They got to the semi-final again. And it's a cup competition. Shit happens. You, you know, I, I think there's an understanding of that.
0: You know, you were saying earlier, Nikki, that, you know, you didn't want to sort of preempt the fact that we necessarily have to talk about English teams in this uh, because this is on the continent and yet two English teams are now in the final. Uh, What does that say both about our league and the opposition? I think
1: um, we were talking a little bit just before we came in about um, about the Super League again because of course we're going to talk about the Super League again. Can't get rid of it. Um, I was actually sort of referencing it in just the sort of broader idea that I do think a lot of these big Bigger clubs in Europe, certainly Juventus, and I think it goes for the Spanish clubs as well, do look at the fact the Premier League continues to get richer and that their domestic leagues aren't able to... I mean, they've all actually, for the most part, continued to experience growth domestically as well, but can't keep up that same pace of growth the Premier League has had in terms of its revenues. And I don't think um, this trend is going away. I think English clubs are richer and they will continue to do better in Europe overall. That doesn't mean year to year that you're going to have two Premier League clubs in the final every season. I think there's still such small margins between these clubs and last year Bayern Munich were clearly the best team in Europe without being rich than Man City or indeed PSG. And I think this season it looks to me like Man City are clearly the best team in Europe. We'll find out whether or not they beat Chelsea but there's still, I think those two things can sit together. There can be a trend and there is a trend that Money talks and the Premier League has more of it, but that doesn't mean that it's just English clubs winning it forever. And I do think it needs to be said over and over again in this end of the season, this last season has been weird. It's been really weird. There's no fans. Everyone is completely shattered because they've done effectively like a full season and a half with no break. It's an odd season and next season may already look very different just because things start to get a bit more normal.
2: Yeah, and injuries have influenced this Champions League, whether it be mm. Lewandowski, whether it be Mbappe. They've, they've had a huge difference. I, I don't think you can get away from that. But good planning can help you. I mean, if you look at like Bayern nearly knocked out PSG without Gnabry... Lewandowski, Mm. Goretzka, like a a ton of players that would sink any other team and there was still a whisker from from knocking them out, really. Um, So I do think it does come back to planning. Of course, where the Premier League has really made its financial muscle count is with the coaches. And I I think, you you know, you look at Thomas Tuchel, who, I mean, it was a a personality rather than a performance issue that saw Paris Saint-Germain got rid of him. And, you know, you you look, he's picked up that team, a few little tweaks, that squad, a few little tweaks, and away they go. You know, they've looked, I think, more impressive than anyone, Chelsea, on the, on the way to the final. And what they did to Real Madrid, I said it on the ramble earlier, they did to Real Madrid exactly what they'd done to Atletico Madrid. They looked stronger than them. They looked faster than them. They looked better than them in every meaningful way, despite the fact that Edouard Mendy made a couple of really good early saves, and what a sensible signing he's been, by the way. Um, I just think in terms of planning versus just money, we've seen the shortcomings of Real Madrid here. That intrinsic quality has kept them afloat in the Champions League, probably for a little bit longer than they should have been this season. But in that moment, Chelsea did to them what I thought Liverpool would do to them in that they looked that bit sharper than them, that bit more full of vigor and life than them. And, Chelsea were were that. I mean, there's no doubting the quality of those players for Madrid in the past and that they've still got. But are they quite elite anymore? Are they an elite team anymore? I I don't know whether they are. And that is something that you've got to lay at the president, Florentino Perez, and you've got to lay it at Zidane, who's really failed to integrate some of those signings that they've made. And especially now when budgets are limited. You know, the, the players who he's, you know, only been forced to play, like Eda Militao, when there's been a ton of injuries, or Audrey Azola, he's said, you know, I don't care if he costs 30 million, I'm not into him. Young players like Asensio, who he's not taken to the next level, you would have thought maybe Vinicius and Rodrigo would be a little further on. And you think, really, for a Real Madrid team, an I know Zidane, he almost comes from that Juventus results above everything culture, you know? I think you look at that and if you stop Benzema, you've, you've stopped Real Madrid. It's it's that simple. Where's mm. your guy who creates the magic in that, in that team? It's
1: Benzema. I mean, Modric sometimes, mm. but I mean, I actually have to say, I think this season, not that he hasn't impressed me plenty in the past, but I almost felt like this season beyond any other season, Benzema has made me just draw on the floor a lot. Like, mm. I think he's been so good. Um, and of course, the goal he scored in the first leg was so good. And he's just... He's a he's a magnificent striker who perhaps hasn't always had as much um love for that as he could have done. I've been converted by Mina Razuki as well as another um great journalist. Um, but um I think uh the team is definitely in that place, um, which you sort of talked about there, and you've of, of being at this end of an era, and I think there was even sort of some, some of the sort of things that players have have said about how Zidane has spoken to them this season. That you know this might be your last go around to do this together. Like this might be the last chance to get this group to do this thing, mm. and it sustained them to a certain point. And I think they are a slightly opposite story to PSG for me in that sense. In the PSG, are just all about the Neymar, Mbappe, Virati like core of, I guess. There are Galactiques instead of Galacticos. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas strangely, Madrid, it's they were once Galacticos, but now it's just the sort of connection they have, the the bonds that they have that kept this team going further than perhaps it should have done. It's interesting because I think you presented completely the opposite side of this as to how I'd been thinking. I was thinking Zidane has done a good job to keep those players able to keep doing something, especially when I think back to the beginning of this season and losing twice to Shakhtar in the group stage and I just thought this is done. Like
2: this lot had finished. But... It depends whether you're talking about right yeah, now or a year's exactly. time or two years' time, doesn't mm. it?
0: Sounds like there's something more fundamental to deal with here. If, if, if we're saying that, you know, Premier League has got most of the money and arguably, you hinted at this, Andy, that we've got, oh, the Premier League has got all the best coaches in the world or the majority of the best coaches in the world, etc. It seems like the the rebuilding isn't just about the teams. The rebuilding is about those the structures of those leagues and how they compete with the dominance of the Premier League in yeah, particular. It's, it's
2: about it's about working smarter. It's you know, it's never just been all about the money. But I guess the question is now, when you look at Real Madrid and Juventus' aims, particularly coming out the back of the Super League project, is their aim sporting excellence or is it to have the same amount of money as oh, teams I, I, that are in the premier I league I was
0: thinking more about PSG because PSG are in a league now that is struggling financially perhaps has yeah. you know the, the the biggest financial hole to fill 100% it, in, yeah. in, in Europe and where can they go from that if if the league they're in has been weakened surely and it is back to that argument of the European Super League uh leagues or national leagues are based on a kind of a pyramid mm-hmm. system. And yeah. it's important to ensure that the base of that pyramid is strong. But PSG could be at the top or second from the top of a very sort of weak foundation.
1: Yeah, I think I want to really stress here because I was only brought up before. I am not pro-European Super League. I'm delighted that it failed. But I think that the the question that you're sort of hinting at there is exactly why it came to be suggested clearly PSG weren't even involved in it and I think the fact that PSG weren't involved in it speaks to their reality as a club. Mm. They're not really trying to be sustainable or or something um, organic. They have Qatari owners who wanted to have something that would allow them to do nice things for their reputation internationally ahead of the yeah. World Cup, exactly as Annie said, and they can afford to spend their money and do that and that is how that club exists right now. Whether that will be forever, I suppose that depends on on their ownership's long-term desire to maintain that brand builder.
0: And here's one that Nicky never saw coming, Jose Mourinho
2: what? into winning the title. <laughs> Come on, let's not sweep that under the carpet. Stop.
1: I actually predicted that at the start of the season. It's on video at ESPN. Yes. It's Indeed. it's a fact.
2: Yeah. This is where digital fingerprint is very important. Exactly, a digital footprint is very important. I got important. mocked for it. Did, did you
1: Did you think Inter would win it this comfortably? No, no, not at all. And. I've been saying that a lot I feel like in the last few weeks like people are and it's almost double now because Mourinho's come along and stolen the narrative in two days time. I feel like people are sort of treating this Inter title now like oh well of course they want the title look at it they've been in front for for the whole second half of the season everyone else has dropped off. Nobody nobody was saying even like three months ago oh yeah Inter are going to take 41 points from the next 45 and just draw two games and that's it they've been brilliant they've been relentless they've been this personification this embodiment of Antonio Conte which is what his teams always seem to end up being where they just start rolling over everybody with force of will and it's been really really impressive it's the end of nine years of consecutive Juventus titles and even if the world has I feel like, perhaps, again, because the timing gone a bit, oh yeah, of course. Trust me, in, in Milan, for Inter fans, this was a huge moment of release. I mean, I think it's the third longest they've ever gone between titles, actually. So, big, big moment.
2: So, uh, th- the thing that really struck me afterwards, Nikki, is Antonio Conte, who th- doesn't seem to have a party head Generally, he's someone who's right, this is what I want to do next. I don't care if it's inappropriate. Let's 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 not enjoy it. Let's, you know, let's let's look at what we're gonna do next. I'm gonna need these 10 signings. I mean, he seemed so much more mellow than I've ever seen him in any title celebrations. He said, Yeah, let's let's make the most of the moment. Let's not think about what comes next. Is he saying that because because he doesn't know what's happening, well, no one really knows what's happening with Suning, will they not only not be able to go and buy six new players, but will they be able to hold on to Lukaku, Lattaro, even though globally, the fact that there are relatively few suitors out there because no one's got any money potentially helps them. We know what Suning are trying to do in terms of either getting an investor or or cut budgets. Is he maybe looking at this because he fell out so spectacularly with the owners and there seemed to be this kind of acquiesce because of what was going on at Juventus, I think there's part of Conte that thought, let's put our differences to one side because this is our chance to go and win the league this season because of what's happening, particularly post the appointment of Pirlo. Is it the fact that he's genuinely changed or is it the fact that maybe even Antonio Conte thinks, well, maybe this is it for me at Inter? I
1: I do think I was on this podcast earlier in the season, starting that sort of um, conversation around um, suddenly there was these videos of like, here's Antonio Conte with his pinball machine. This is how I relax when I'm not (laughs) being a football manager. There's been this rebrand that's been building for for a bit this season. Um, And um, yeah, like him driving a golf buggy around the training ground and stuff. There's been this odd rebrand of Conte um, during this season and his press conferences have become more mellow there's still relative terms here because he's still Antonio Conte but I don't know honestly I think there could be all sorts of things that feed into that always again things we were talking about just before we came in footballers and coaches are real people this last year has changed a lot of people I don't know if being sort of stuck at home changes your perspective on life a little bit and you look around and go you know what I don't need to be mad all the time I don't know if the way that this has happened the fact that he has orchestrated this triumph in this second year has just taken some of the tension out for him. Whether Mm. there comes a point in your life, which I think lots of us have this to greater or lesser extents that you reach a point in your life where you start to feel less like you're doing your work because you have something to prove and more because you're enjoying it and um, you just like doing. I think... It seems ridiculous to say it, because of course he'd already won the title three times the events. So he'd won so much in his playing career. He'd gone to England and won with Chelsea. But it's certainly conceivable to me that he's been someone who's lived with this tension of having to prove himself for a long time. And maybe he's sort of woken up one morning and gone, actually, you know what? I'm no longer no one can doubt me anymore. Like um, actually, like I have I have earned this place and and now I can start making about what I want rather than just sort of proving some point to somebody.
2: It, it does feel as well as if he really enjoys the atmosphere. At mm. I mean, I know, I know it's easy to say about a, a squad that's just won the league, but, you know, he is composed to his specifications. He went heavy on the experience and it seems to me that he enjoys the company of Damian and Ashley Young and Lukaku, especially mm. players like that. Players with experience, players with maturity. There seems to be a level of trust there that he didn't have maybe in even with some of the players in his great Juventus side.
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's I mean, look, Lukaku is this was talked about um at the time of the signing. He's a player he wanted pretty much all through his coaching career. Yeah. Like he's this one singular player. And I do think there's such a um a beauty in that, in this title for me. I think it's such a beautiful thing for Lukaku. I love that Lukaku um was sharing these videos of himself. Like he went, first of all, he's when, because the, the title got sealed to step back for a moment with a draw between Sassuolo and Atalanta.
2: And, the day after they beat Clotane. Yes.
1: Yeah. The day after Inter won against Clotane. And, then like Lukaku is sharing videos to himself in his apartment in Milan, seeing Campiones at the window. And at some point he was obviously like, This won't do. And he gets into his car and then he's being driven around Milan and he's standing at the sunroof and he's doing it. <laughs> and he's got fans literally like saying you're a god and he's going, Thanks, bro, like in Italian grazie bro. Like it's such a it's such an amazingly organic moment. You think I loved
2: that... the FaceTime call with Adriano. Yes. That was that was wonderful. Saying, what happened? I well, missed us. Uh, He's like, well, you're into royalty. I love you. And, uh, you know, now now, now I'm you're royal. vibing with me. I, <laughs> I, I, I love it. It's, it's really quite wonderful. And Adriano's got this great look of joy on his face as well. Like, I just, I think Lukaku is
1: such a... When the story of this type is written, it's going to be all about Conte. And rightfully, because he is probably the singular figure who's done the most to transform it. I just think Lukaku's career, he's been a really, really top level. And uh, it's hard to find the words that express it right because top level can mean a lot of things. Like It can sort of not categorise high enough almost for Lukaku. Mm. I think he's been one of the best strikers in the world Mm. for a while. Um, And he hasn't won nothing. And now he has. And I think that synergy, for want of a better word, between Conte and his desire and the fact that he always saw this player and was like, no, no one's using you right. Like, I can use you right. And he's finally got him and he's allowed Lukaku to to take that step. It's one of my favourite sort of subplots to all this. And so seeing Lukaku being so genuine in his delight um, was really real. There was some other sort of players showing their delight in different ways. It's, it's not, I don't know how to put this one delicately either, but let's say it did not parked unremarked, pass unremarked upon in Italy um, Marcela Brozovic was sharing some po- photos with very red eyes after, <laughs> after the title
2: track.
0: Well, I have hay fever. I know all about exactly, red me eyes. Me too. Me too.
2: At this time of year. But you, you know, you know what? I, I think we're talking about Conte and a, a sort of situation in which everyone understands each other and you know everyone feeling the love. It doesn't feel right. Do you think we need to drop some poison into the <laughs> Well yeah,
0: Thank you for that. Um, and has already mentioned the subplots. So we'll sti- stick with the Italian Shakespearean theme. And, uh, of course, one famous uh, figure, uh, lead character in some drama, might say, friends... countrymen, well, not quite. I come not to bury Inter because I used to be the special one. And I wonder whether, and you've said already, the arrival of Jose Mourinho to Serie A almost overshadowed, or after a couple of days at least, Inter's uh, title victory. What is it going to do? And it's not his first time, obviously, in Serie A, but what will it do for uh, not just Roma? Because I, I think almost Roma is a it, wherever Jose Mourinho goes, it almost seems as if the team that he's managing, certainly since his Chelsea success, is almost a side issue. It is the Jose Mourinho show in Serie A. How will that disrupt Antonio Conte, Inter, and all the other rivals?
1: Well, it's impossible not to think, isn't it? We just this lovely chat about, oh, maybe Conte's mellowing and getting happier. <laughs> and you remember him and him and Mourinho and how they went on when they were in the Premier League. I mean, Indeed. it's been interesting because you sort of have all this with both of them actually, you have all this lore and these sorts of press conferences and moments and interviews which you half remember, and then you go back and watch them. And the intensity of Conte in that interview, I think, is with Des Kelly. Um, where he's calling Mourinho a little man, which is right after <laughs> Mourinho had um, dropped this very provocative um, one thing I'll never do is is fix matches, which Conte was initially um, charged with and suspended for an accusal of failing to report a fixed match, not of fixing a match himself, failing mm. to report one. He was later absolved by the courts, had been absolved by this and when Mourinho said it. So Mourinho was being very... Um, it's deliberately provocative yes and um, and yes Conte calls him a little man in that interview with BT and I just think the intensity of Conte he's intimidating when he's like that um, yes it was astonishing as a news story because nobody in Rome knew about it it seemed like everyone was convinced that job was going to Marizio Sali
0: and nobody in Brighton knew about it
1: nobody where I was <laughs> um I am not based in Rome, but I do talk to people based in Rome. And nobody, none of the people who you would expect to have the finger on the pulse of that specific team and that situation knew about this one. They'd kept it very firmly under wraps. And it's like in isolation. That would be, wow, what an amazing sort of story that you've kept under your hats. In the context of Antonio Conte, who is this Juventus icon has just broken Juventus' dominance by going to Inter and winning the league with them. And then the last man to manage Inter to a title, who happens to have a feud with Antonio Conte, shows up back in Serie A. It just and immediately takes a headline. I mean, the last two days, the front covers of every Italian sports newspaper even some of the national um, non-sports papers has had Mourinho's face on it.
2: It (laughs) As Michelangelo's David and all all, all the rest of it. I mean, the thing that I can't get past with this, as you say, Nikki, in terms of drama, you know, when when I saw it come up on on Twitter, Roma's announcement, I was absolutely, you know, you you can't fail to be excited by it. But that's the trick of it, that you've forgotten everything that happened at Tottenham immediately. And... The fact is that Mourinho is going to Roma now, a job that he never would have taken two or three years ago. Just like, you know, it's it's a boost for him and it's a boost for Roma, just like it was a boost for Tottenham. So it enabled Tottenham to say, oh yeah, look at us now. We can get Jose Mourinho. Just like Roma can say, look at us now. We can get Jose Mourinho. Will it attract players to Roma, though, is the question. Well, they've not got bottomless pits of money. You know that's that's a, a huge issue. That basically this team needs a bit of a rebuild, which kind of started before when they got rid of Nanglean and Strokeman, when De Rossi, and before that when Totti re- retired and stuff. But but it's hard to see where the spine is, and I, I don't think that's totally um, Paulo Fonseca, that the outgoing coaches fault. He's had his good moments and he's had his less good moments. And I suspect there are a lot of people in Rome who would say that he and Chago Pinto are mopping up the mess from Monchi, for example. But... Was that the previous coach? Uh, the previous sporting director. Right, okay. So it's gone back to Sevilla and done a very good job there again. But I, I just think it, it takes a considerable leap of faith to think that Mourinho can... I mean, let's take the idea of trophies off the table for a moment. I think he's going to need that zero tituli banner oh from, from, from from Inter. And that's going to be thrown back in his face once or twice. <laughs> but I, I just think... It, it, to, to imagine that he's going to even build some sort of foundation when he's very much a scorched earth kind of coach, it it, it takes a bit of imagination to get there, doesn't it?
1: Oh, I mean, I've already said this... Um... I think this is going to be a disaster. That's my honest um, right. expectation. I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times before. I think oh, as, a, as a as a project for, for Roma, it feels like a disaster. You've already Ooh. sort of touched on it there. Andy. this squad is hugely bloated with players like Pastore who don't need to be there, who are yeah. weighing down the wage bill. I don't understand where the money's coming from. I guess the idea is, actually, there's a bit of looking at Inter and saying, well, the star player for Inter was Antonio Conte. So maybe our star player can be our manager. Um, but I, I, again, like on top of everything, like Rome is such an intense football city. It has devoured managers, managers who have got even ones with inbuilt goodwill, Roman managers, um, like like Ranieri have had a really hard mm. time there because the atmosphere is so on top of you. Um, you look at someone who's a bit more tempestuous like Spalletti and for a while it was great for Spalletti to be fair but by the end my god his relationship with Totti his relationship with the media it was toxic and Mourinho
2: embraces the toxic
1: yes um, and maybe this will become one of those double negatives
2: <laughs> where it will somehow
1: fit together perfectly but as you said as well I mean he's provoked that fan base in the past the to be comment was very much aimed at Roma when he was Inter and whether or not, I mean, the initial reaction in Rome is they're delighted with it and they don't care. And if he comes in and, and wins for them, they'll be very happy with him. But whether or not there are old boons that could yet reappear, it's going, to be, it's going to be a fascinating watch.
0: Kick balls up and fall down and wait for the medical department. And I think nobody should give credit from, from what they did. It's exciting if um, at the stage of the season when a league still has some business to be settled, as in La Liga. Any idea what's going to happen in terms of that league, Andy? Because it looks like Atletico are still the team to beat.
2: Well, we're going to find out a lot this weekend because Mm. on Saturday afternoon, we've got Barcelona versus Atletico at 315 Sunday night, we've got Real Madrid versus Sevilla. So basically, the top four are playing each other. Now, this would have been the ultimate weekend had Sevilla not lost at home to Athletic Bilbao on Monday night because then we would have had three points between the top four, which would have been amazing. Now, Sevilla, they're in a position, I think, especially with the week Real Madrid have had and how weary they look, Sevilla are still in a position to be kingmakers in a sense they're playing with house money just as they always have been because they qualified for the Champions League de- definitively mathematically a couple of weeks back and you know it's I think underlines what a good season they've had and what an amazing job Hulain Lopetegui has is, is, is carried on doing but it, it was disappointing that Athletic have really got nothing to play for went there gave them a difficult game they beat Atletico the other week, and you know, talking of Kingmakers, they're having an interesting influence Athletic on the on on the title. And then, as Sevilla were banging on the door in the final ten minutes, they break away, and the inevitable, the brilliant Inyaki Williams comes on for what is hundred ninety first consecutive Athletic game, as David was saying the the, the other week, scores a brilliant winner. They get a win that they don't really need, but it it puts a massive banana skin in the title race. Now, of course, people in Catalonia have already been saying, well, you know, Sevilla aren't really motivated to go and do anything at Real Madrid now because it's really unlikely that they win the league. I'm not sure it works like that at all. You know, Sevilla have taken every game as a challenge, as an opportunity to get better. They're having an incredible season and... You know, I think being a kingmaker is quite a worthy thing as well. But also, beating Real Madrid, kingmaker or not, that's the biggie, isn't it? Totally. And (laughs) what people were saying about Sevilla earlier in the season when they were doubting their title credentials is they can't beat anyone any good. Well, they proved that wrong when they went and beat Atletico. Now, I'm not sure a lot of people, me included, have never believed, even when they've got three points from the top, that they're really genuinely in the title race and I don't think they've been sitting in the, the, the changing room going with Lopetegui going yeah we can be champions lads I, 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 I don't I don't think there is that but I don't think there's a there's a lack of motivation going into this
1: no I think what Dustin just said is 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 on like I think like when you've got the chance to go and beat Real Madrid late in the season and yeah the the title race I think has never been the priority but they're in the picture still. It's not like they're mathematically out of it. No, so, it's true. So why would you run up the white flag for that? It doesn't make sense to me. I think it's...
2: And it's not there. It's not the club's attitude. It's not the club's way of, 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 of being. I mean, it, it does say above the top tier and the bottom tier on the North Stand, they say that we never give up <laughs> and I, you know the players see that every single game and you know it says we never give up on on the neck on the back of their shirt so they mean it and they've, they've got so many of those type of players um, you know be it um, Jules Koundé who's now one of the best centre backs in the world be it Lucas Acampos who's the heart and soul of the team but doesn't need to do it all on his own anymore because it's a really really good squad I think As well, the interesting thing and something that I think is an amusing idiosyncrasy in this is the fact that Barcelona are going to be all in for this. They will feel this is their opportunity to beat Atletico and get themselves to what looked like an improbable title. The fact is, if they take points off Atletico this weekend, beat them or draw and Real Madrid win out Real Madrid the champions. Mm -hmm. And essentially they've done them a (laughs) favour.
0: Do you know what I love about this? Uh, The fact that this is how a league season is supposed to end.
2: Exactly. To the very last moment. To the last kick of the ball. Exactly. It's so rare. Like uh, La Liga actually gave an international press conference yesterday for over 100 journalists on, oh my God, God, look at the end of this season. <laughs> and they got on Javier Mascherano, they got on uh, Diego Martinez, the um, the coach of Granada, uh, they got on the sporting directors of Betis and Real Sociedad because they feel it's newsworthy. And they're right, mm-hmm. it is newsworthy. And, you know, especially coming out of the Super League chat, this idea that even in this, as Nikki describes, unusual situation, for us to be in an environment where really the you know it's only really the bundesliga in the premier league that are closed the you know we've still got a title race with up to four teams in these other leagues and he's absolutely fantastic i mean atletico have had their luck in the last couple of weeks that they've not had a brilliant second half to the season but the things that have really gone for them granada going to Camp Nou and winning, which it seems like so much has happened since it's a week ago. A week ago. that the Barcelona won it up. Granada come back in the second half. 39-year-old Jorge Molina scores the winner. 39. Like, he appeared on screen for his post-match and my wife, sometimes you know you need someone outside the bubble to like clarify football stuff and she said, that guy's a player. <laughs> she, thought, she thought he was like the sporting director or, or, or something like that. And so Molina, just after his 39th birthday, scores the winner. And then Atletico go to Elche last weekend. And Marcos Llorente scores, of course he does. And then at, at the end, Kieran Trippier gives away a free kick. You know, it's a kind of dubious free kick. The ball comes in Marcos Llorente himself goes to head it out realises he's mistimed his jump handles the ball and then does that Stephen Taylor on the line against Newcastle thing pretends he's been hit in the face <laughs> oh my to try and get away with it now obviously VAR figures it out we live in an age where there are 25 35 cameras in the stadium you're going to get busted anyway the delay is enough to put off Fidel of Elche who are trying to get out of relegation trouble he hits the post Simeone goes nuts in the touchline Atletico are still top and they've still preserved that advantage so they're kind of in the driving seat but Barcelona away is a mountain I don't think you can get away with that and the way they've played in the second half of the season I don't really feel confident that they can go there and get a result
0: well as we wrap up that conversation let me just say age ain't nothing but a number a uh, uh, number 39. <clears throat> it's a time for you both to recommend a game of the week for us after some a really exciting week of football in Europe, let's face it. I'm going to say,
2: follow that. Andy? I'm going to go to Germany. Saturday afternoon, Dortmund versus Leipzig. It is huge. Now, we talked about inadvertent favours. Um, if Dortmund can beat Leipzig, not only will they be doing themselves a massive favour in terms of they've got themselves back in the Champions League place, they're only one point behind fourth place Eintracht Frankfurt now, two points behind third place Wolfsburg, so they need to win this. Um, Dortmund hate Leipzig as well, I think, which is worth pointing out. They can basically make Bayern the champions while they're still on the bus on the way to the late game. So, you know few cans on the way to the game. <laughs> why, why not, eh? And it looks like Erling Haaland will be fit to help them do that. And Jaden Sancho's feeling it again. And Nikki?
1: Well, there isn't a tighter race anymore in Italy, but the top four races, very, very spicy.
2: Unbelievable. You've
1: yeah. got um, Milan, Juventus and Atalanta, level on points. Napoli, two points behind them. And then Lazio, who are five points back, but have a game in hand. So... It's going to be so, so tight um, thinking that only three of those teams can get a Champions League spot. Obviously for Milan and Juventus, the pressure is highest. Milan because they were top of the table for most of this season. Juventus because they're Juventus and they have Ronaldo on the books. And can you imagine Ronaldo being told as he nears his 37th birthday, we're off to the Europa League next season?
0: Oh no, (laughs) Well, I cannot imagine that.
1: Well, Juventus hosts Milan this weekend. So we are going to get one of those teams or maybe both of them if they draw, is going to have a setback this weekend. It's going to be such a, such a pressured game for both teams. I think it's got to be my game of the week for sure.
0: Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, (laughs) Jose Mourinho.